Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sports. Oh, this is so good. The Final Frontier. These are the voices of the sinner and the saint. Did you really think that after absolutely blowing your butt out in game one? Did they blow their butt out? Yes, they blew their collective butts out to try to get that win. Oh, their weekly mission to provide hot takes, medium takes, mild takes, to boldly go where no show has gone before. Take me to Flavortown. Luke Anderson. You're welcome. You're welcome, world. Will Darkens. I know what you're thinking. What will the butt test tell us that the nose <laughs> test did? The Sinner and the Saint Tailgate Show on 1080 The Fan, the Radio.com app. It's just turned into a gigantic Mexican. And 1080TheFan.com. Welcome back in, Hour 2, Sinner and Saint. If you missed anything from Hour 1, shame on you. But you're in luck. You can get the podcast. By going to 1080thefan.com, any of the fans' social channels, or going to radio.com. You can also call 1-800-555-POD to listen to it on the telephone, or you can send a self-addressed stamped envelope to P.O. Box 555, Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, Canada. Did you ever use movie phone? No. Uh, yeah, I did. I think. Once. My cousin was always the movie phone guy. He was he he had it like on memory and speed dial, like boom. Yeah, he was he was always all over it. But he was also the kid that would go and like he'd just like movie hop, show show up for the nine a.m. screening of Stick jo- Jawbreaker, and then jump over to Fight Club, and then move on to you know Scream Two or Three or whatever it was. You know what's weird to me is that. Like, we view that as, like, a really truncated, like, really crappy way that technology, like, tried to help us. Or at least I do. It was like, uh, I, I literally had to call up and, like, dial for uh, movie times for certain yeah. shows. What we do now, which is, like, searching on the internet, like, give that 10 years, yeah, and that'll probably seem ridiculous. Well, we, yeah, it's moving to the point where, like, do you know people that talk to their cell phone to send text messages? Are you oh, one of those I hate people? that. Yeah. It's stupid. I'm sorry. I It's just dumb. Just type it. And that's what I think, too. Yeah. And if you're driving, or, just don't text. Like, then but, call the person. And if they don't pick up, <laughs> screw them. <laughs> Leave a voicemail. Yeah. Which is exactly what the technology yeah. for. Like, I, the people that said, like, a text message with 12 questions in it. It's like, dude, you could have just called me and then we could have had a conversation. One leads to the other to the other, but... I don't know. Um, yeah, the the telephone dial in. If you could just dial one eight hundred podcast and just let your phone <laughs> just play back the thing. Just run really crappy what? phone audio. <laughs> uh, for the Sinner and Saint podcast, press one for Dirt and Sprague. Press two for to go to the segment where they reviewed bagel schmears. <laughs> press three. 
Ew, no. To fast forward to the schmear section. Press three. Uh, Ducks, Cougs. As yeah. Good, as good as the Oregon Ducks have been over the years, uh. as disappointing as the Cougs seasons have finished over the years, oh. they're, they have a hard time in the Apple Cup. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I guess so. The matchup between the Ducks and Cougars has brought us some epic matchups in recent years. Mm-hmm. They're playing in Pullman, advantage Cougs. Ducks are coming off a nice win against Stanford. The Cougs are coming off a nice win against the Beavs. Mm-hmm. What are you looking forward to uh, in this game, Mr. Will Darkens? What are you... What are you- what are you looking for? I'm looking forward to the Ducks offense to actually open up. Now, one thing that we really talked about uh, before the game on the show last week was the idea that uh, Oregon's offense has been kind of stagnated for these past two years. Marcus Arroyo. Yeah, Marcus Arroyo was just kind of an uninventive uh, offensive coordinator who kind of stuck to this very conservative, if you could call it that, strategy that just was basically predicated on Run, 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 weird option, strange screen, run, run. Now I'm going to try to throw $20 down or 20 yards down the field. Mario Cristobal would get up and say, we're going to be a team that is led by our offensive mm-hmm. line. We're going to win right. in the trenches. That's how you're going to win the game. And Marcus Arroyo went, oh, so you don't want me to throw the ball? Oh, okay. got it. Got it. <laughs> but oh, we- so, so we don't want people to know how talented uh, Justin Herbert is until he gets drafted by the Chargers and somebody punctures their starting quarterback's lung. And then we'll find out that he was really great. We should have used him to win a Heisman Trophy in a national championship. And then when we do throw, we'll try to throw 40 yards down the field. <laughs> Never let him run because he might get hurt. So I'm looking forward to seeing the offense really open up. I thought, for the most part, Joe Moorhead's offense during that opening game was pretty conservative. And... You kind of expect it as much just because of the fact that it is your opening game. And you, I don't know. Kind of sloppy to start, too. You had the, the Habibi Leakio fumble. <laughs> yeah, but kind of that's all the, kind of the stuff. That, the up air, the interception. But you can, and, and then you ended up, but you ended up with a lead at the end of the first half. And going into the second half, you just grew the lead by playing conservative. You didn't, you didn't need to expand the offense too much, right? You have a couple missteps early on. You're lucky to come out of the first half with a lead, I thought. And then you get into the second half, and you grow the lead without really dialing anything up. And I will say, one of the uh, kind of taking the positive with the negative is that the positive, that Moorhead understands how to actually, like, I don't know, implement a rhythm of the game because, as you're saying, uh, as you got to the second half, the lead started to grow, mostly because of the fact that Moorhead was now starting to throw in these exotic play actions where you were having the uh, tight end cut across field for flats, and you were getting huge gains off of that. You were also seeing C.J. Verdell get into the passing game, uh, which is good, and that's the sign of a really good offensive coordinator is that you start the game conservative, and then as you start to make adjustments, you start to throw in these little niches that kind of screw up the defense. The negative part of that is that um, as much as we want to try to draw a positive off of Tyler Shuck, Tyler Shuck's not that great. I'm sorry. He did well running the football. Uh, That's fine. But Tyler Shuck looks like somebody who I think we saw the best in week one. That's that's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. And that's kind of a little scary. Uh, I know that everybody kind of commented on how great he was on the ground. I think he got 85 yards uh, rushing and a touchdown on the ground. But that's like three plays. That's three plays. And I would also like to say that he, at least looking at him, wasn't the most dynamic runner. Now, the one run I could say, the touchdown run, 
I was very impressed by the fact that he was able to freeze the trailing D end, yep. go back, get into the end zone. That was very impressive. But there was something about his play and his inability to really like nail down where to get the ball in the field. As you mentioned, there was the one pick, but it probably should have been three picks because there were yeah. many moments that guy was throwing into double mm-hmm. coverage and it miraculously either bounced off or or was a one, reception. Yeah, yeah, there was there was one where he squeezed in, it in to, between 12 defenders. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, there's a part of me that wants to go along with this narrative that a lot of Duck fans have had this past week, which was, wow, Shuck really kind of proved that he's a capable quarterback. I kind of feel like that's the best you're going to get. And if that is in fact the case, you might get into trouble later in the season. Now that's also considering that you might not have to play certain teams because they have COVID and they'll have to cancel games, but it also considers, Hey, maybe you'll get up around to the point where you play Washington and they'll have still have a pretty good defense and Tyler Shuck might get in trouble. And as we said before, a Pac-12 team will not get into the college football playoff with one loss. You have no. to go undefeated, and even then, it's very doubtful. And yeah, and you need to roll in these games uh, to to do so. Um, yeah. You had a pretty balanced offense for Washington State, if nothing else. They, oh yeah, they ran the ball thirty times. I think they threw it thirty-three. <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. It's just I I laughed because it was like the Beavers' defense was so terrible, okay. dude. <laughs> Like, I know, I want to let you finish, but I'm like, dude, the, the defense, like, you know, I mentioned that, that last scoring drive, you want to call it a drive, it was just a play. Um, you know, Washington State was literally running the ball out because they had a three-point lead with about, like, 220 left. Yeah. And it was like, they I didn't have to. we'll take the touchdown. Yeah, they literally took a touchdown where the, the, the runner had a good 20 yards where he was the only dude in, like, a 10-mile radius. 10 mile, not yes. 10 yards. No, dude. 10 miles and almost it's almost as if like Oregon State was like oh the game's over yeah sick all right stop that guy (laughs) well there he goes so we're gonna stop that guy he'll probably stop when he gets to the end zone hey where are (laughs) yeah dude I mean I don't know it's a really bad sign that they were missing so many guys yeah on offense and that Oregon State's defense looked so defeated yeah on so many levels they're uh you know, their secondary looked terrible. Their defensive line looked terrible. So, I, and I would like yeah. everybody, I would just remind anybody that is not a regular listener of this program. Will Darkens played for Oregon State. Will Darkens is always wearing an Oregon State sweatshirt uh, during this show, regardless of whether or not we're the home of the Ducks. You are a beeve. You will always be a beeve. Yes. So this is not somebody going, listen, Oregon State's terrible that's why like this is you well, genuinely no, I am being, saying that but, no but oh. no, this is you <laughs> genuinely being disappointed that they're terrible yeah like, you were optimistic you weren't oregon state's bad because oregon state's always bad because they're a little brother you're going i wanted them to be good but they're not well <laughs> i will say this i i drank a little bit of the uh watered down kool-aid of their 2018 2019 season yeah uh and I came back down to earth uh, after I started to realize that, like, oh, yeah, a massive part of their offense is all leaving. Uh, which, by the way, congrats on Jake Luton, if we're talking yeah. about the Jags, having a good uh, uh, having a good opener with the Jags. Yep. But, um, I, I mean, I'm a realist, dude. Like, that team is decimated. And Tristan Jebbia is just, he he's not the answer at quarterback. Like, yeah. they, they got to figure something else out. I mean, going back to the Ducks, I always what I'll say that, 
I think that you didn't see enough in the Stanford game to really get a good feel for what this team will be. And to be quite honest, I think as you go along, maybe even into week four or five for Pac-12, you still won't get a good handle on what this team is about because this is such a strange season. Yep. They played a Stanford team that had all these injuries and COVID, uh, 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 you know, however you want to call exemptions it. Or exemptions or exemptions. Yeah. You're going to encounter Off the same team with, uh, with Washington State because they're going to be missing a lot of people too. So really, I don't think you're going to get a good feel on the Ducks or for Tyler Shuck or for Joe Moorhead's offense or for uh, C.J. Verdell's ascension to top running back in the Pac-12. You won't get a good feel for that until you're getting into those week sixes or sevens. I will say one of the promising things, though, you mentioned that some of those throws should have or could have been interceptions from Tyler Shuck. The one thing that you saw was you saw Michael Pittman have an unbelievable catch, Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson. All those guys made big plays. Yeah, the wide receiving core looked exceptionally better. And that is one thing that has been uh, a weakness. If you can find Mm. one in the Oregon uh, offense over the last few years. So sometimes having the best quarterback with no weapons is not nearly as valuable as having a, a decent quarterback with weapons. And I think that that's a big difference. Well, I'll tell you, it's the running joke for a lot of Oregon fans is that, you know, they recruit these top name, top ranked, you know, five star wide receivers that just end up, being crappy, um, yeah. you know, and then I guess I don't want to say crappy so much as a disappointment for what they were recruited as. And so when you have this lineup of uh, receivers who, for the most part, are not those, uh, you know, nationally ranked top 10 guys starting to perform like this, you feel encouraged by it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. on the flip side, there's one scholarship tight end on the roster traveling to Pullman. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's so crazy. I just I try to put myself right now um, in the place of these players. And honestly, I do feel for these guys because, uh, you know, every, everybody can kind of go back to the old uh, gripe about, oh, whatever, they're getting their college paid for and they're still getting to be able to play football. Dude, these guys are going through a slog where they constantly have to worry about being infected with a disease that possibly could kill them. Virus or I'm sorry, a virus. And then the other part of it is you're going to play at these stadiums that are just empty. Yeah. Well, I mean, you always talk about, you know, the, the, the moment that made college football for you was playing at, uh, at state college. Yeah. You know? Yes. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was suck cause we got killed, but it was awesome because it was a, it was a top 10 college football crowd of people who were insane. Yeah. And that made it all the better. Seeing, I totally agree with you. Seeing Autzen Stadium empty was depressing. Yep. It just was. And you have to imagine for these guys, too, there's so much of a feel that even though uh, Stanford comes to Autzen Stadium and you play them, it probably felt like a scrimmage. Yep. yep. And that just sucks, man. All right. Well, on that, yeah, on that I note, know. I no, just, no, you're good. You're yeah, good. You get it out of the way. No, you're good. It's it's it, there's truth to it. I said it before. I the, the the first time I felt really really sad about the crowd shot full of cardboard cutouts was at Autzen Stadium. It was very very disappointing to me. Uh, let's move over to the NFL. You mentioned Jake Luton had a nice uh, uh, start. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, yeah. uh, disappointing uh, Sunday for the Seahawks last week. Um, but we have some big matchups this week, and we have some players that uh, that we thought may not be playing this week that will be. Uh, we'll do a, a little NFL, uh, you know, choose your own adventure. We'll do it next. Sinner and Saint on 1080 The Fan. Thursday night, we saw the Colts 
manhandle the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they actually took a first-half deficit and turned it into a 34-17 victory. So I ask you this question. Are the Colts good? No. Okay. That's easy. Are the uh, Titans good? The only thing, uh, the Titans are in flux is what I would say. <laughs> Wait, so the Titans are in flux and the Colts are bad. Colts are not bad, but they're not good. What I will say is that the Titans did the, well, I said the Titans did Philip Rivers a favor by enabling him furthermore to look like a competent quarterback. Okay. Um, Put a good team around him. Let him go out there and yeah, three-quarter arm everything. And- uh, just let, you know, just half-ass your defense. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of give up by the second quarter and then let Phillip Rivers just go out and just kind of, yeah, you know, toss little 10-yard lobs and for grunt. Y- for years, we looked at this division, the AFC South, and just said, oh, well, this is somebody's got to win. The, somebody's got to win division. I mean, you can just point to the Bill O'Brien success that he had where the Texans won a bunch of division titles. I mean, Colts, Titans are battling right now. They're both six and three. Pretty good. Texans are two and six. Jaguars are one and seven. Yeah, it's terrible division. But you have two good Teams in no, it? it's a terrible okay. division, and I would also argue the fact that Bill O'Brien got fired makes this an even more just kind of <laughs> like because honestly, man, think about it. And for the last five years, that has been the storyline of the AFC South is the Tennessee Texans, or I'm sorry, the Texas Texans, <laughs> the um, Houston Texans, the Houston Texans, the Texas Texans, Texas Texans, the Tennessee Texans, and uh, the Indianapolis Texans. I mean, well, that's really been the story. The whole narrative has been Bill O'Brien and how bad he has screwed up every great opportunity he has had. Yeah, he has one of the best young quarterbacks in football. He had, for a time, one of the, the best, best defenses. Best uh, defense, or one of the best wide receivers in one football. Best wide receivers. He had yeah. able running backs. Yeah. Um, and they could just never really get it together. Now that he's left, there's just not a lot to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, in the AFC South. And, and well, the Titans know, had the run last year. Right. Derrick Henry drug them to the AFC Championship game. And you know something, I could have really called that one coming okay. in this next season that there would be a letdown with Derrick Henry because I don't feel like that model is incredibly sustainable. It's really sustainable if you could get into the playoffs barely, and then you could just yeah. outwork people. But once you start to carry that over into the next season, and it's more about the long haul, you have to start looking ahead and say, you know, how am I going to build a better strategy on offense where I can start to you know, kind of put some corks and things into the offense as we get further into the season. That's not what the Tennessee Titans are about. They're about lining up dudes on the line of scrimmage and punching Derrick Henry down your throat. And if Derrick Henry <laughs> has had too much of it, you're not going to last too long. Yeah, well, they're they're talking about possibly if they have to eliminate games, then they would expand the playoffs to eight teams in each conference mm. so that they can get an expanded playoff. That puts both Tennessee and Indianapolis in uh, the AFC playoff picture. Uh, actually, right now they'd be in uh, even with just six teams, but there's you know still games to be played, obviously, this weekend that would change that. Yeah, but, I kind of thought about that, but... And- I've never been a fan about expanding the NFL playoff. Well, but this would be more of a we do it the one time because they've talked about expanding it to seven from each conference. That way, only the first uh, the first seed gets a buy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the the plan as of right now. Moving forward, they eliminate some preseason games. But they say this year, if they have to cancel games because of COVID, instead of pushing back the playoffs, they'll go on win percentage and they'll expand to eight. Mm. Yeah. 
I, there's something I really like about the, I, I guess I would say, small amount of wild card games. Yeah. I guess in relation to that. There's something I like about it because there's just so much more focus that's drawn to these teams that, like, Oh my gosh, are they going to make it or not? Well, in four games on a weekend, you get an early game oh, Saturday and primetime game on Saturday early on, yeah. and then late on Sunday. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I would great. rather have that than add two more wild card games into that. Yep. And then you just get this loaded field where, you know, you're pretty much going to ignore probably two or three of those matchups if that's the case. I think in this case, when you have four games in one weekend, you pay attention to most all those games. Yeah, I will watch all four games in yeah. a weekend. But, yeah, you you push it up to six, and now you have to watch six football games. So now you have to choose the one that you're going to skip, I think. So the game that I really want to – Or just get divorced, and then you watch all six. Well, yeah. The game I really want to focus on is the Chargers-Dolphins. And it's the weird narrative of it, because I am totally aware that the Chargers are oh. one of those teams where the record doesn't quite reflect, um, you know – the talent or the potential talent that you could be looking at? Let's do a quick glance at the Chargers schedule because I do think this is very interesting. So the Chargers, they win week one against the Bengals, but they win 16-13. Then they lose to the Chiefs 23-20. Which was an incredibly close game. And that's the Herbert start. That's the first Herbert start, right? So Tyrod Taylor played the first game. Then they decided to, you know, inject, what was it, uh, painkiller into his lungs, collapse his lung. Gosh boy uh so yeah 23 20 against the chiefs they lose 21 16 to the panthers 38 31 they lose to the bucks and then they lose 30 27 to the saints get a nice easy win 20 uh 39 29 against the jaguars they lose a one point game to the broncos 31 30 and then they lose another close one to the raiders 31 26 yeah it's yes they well they the last two have been heartbreakers they, they lose on last-second plays in both games, once on offense, once in defense. And I think that because of this, you will probably at the end of this season see the exit of Anthony Lynn. I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. I, I think that there's a sense that this team has that. I mean, just what you went over. I mean, we went over all these scores, and most of them are either you know, one to three point losses or if your, you, your biggest margin if you knew of the context is, is very points. close. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that there's probably going to be a sense from ownership that there is such a young, talented roster on here. And it looks like we found our quarterback that we need to, uh, you know, strike big on this. And I don't know what strike big means. There might be, uh, say a rumor that Harbaugh could be leaving oh. Michigan and you get him over to the chargers and then maybe uh, pair him up with a talented offensive coordinator. So you could shore up that defense with Harbaugh's, uh, you know, Har- Harbaugh's acumen. Yeah. So I, yeah, well, that's an aside. No, I mean it makes yeah, I mean it certainly would make sense. So, so but you're saying back to the game now playing against the Miami Dolphins and you've got Tua. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting. This is this is something that I think you're going to start to see as time goes on. Now that the Patriots have become just kind of dethroned. Uh, you can see the Dolphins actually start to have this new rivalry, say, with the Bills in that division. Because really, when you look at the Jets, <laughs> dude, there's no helping that team. <laughs> the, the, yes, they're terrible. <laughs> what Adam Gase has done is going to take at least five years to fix. <laughs> like, so they're done. Um, I would say that the Patriots, for the most part, have kind of lost 
whatever luster they have, whatever, uh, you know, veneer of success they have, that is completely gone. So you're going to start to see a division that in the AFC East that you say, wow, you have these two teams that are probably going to battle it out because as ridiculous as it is, dude, the Dolphins are five and three. That's not that bad. No, it's not. And they're right there, you know, in spitting distance of the Buffalo Bills. So it will be interesting to see what they can do. And they were what three and three when they decided to move on from, from uh, old what's his beard. Uh, Fitzpatrick. So it's interesting. Um, there I really was a little, thought I'd get a shot. There was a little pause there at the end of uh, your Chargers uh, rant, and I was trying to find it, and I have uh, got it. The point differential for your two and six Chargers, mm. 11. Jeez. Your five and three, so minus 11 uh, point differential. Your point differential for your five and three in the same division, uh, Las Vegas Raiders, minus 11. Damn. Just to give you an idea, but that's football, man, is the NFL every year. Oh, I just found one worse. Every (laughs) year there's a team that goes from from the bottom to the top, and it's usually the teams that have these low point differentials. The three and six Atlanta Falcons, minus eight point differential. Gosh. Yeah, that's not... uh, not ideal. That's losing a lot of close games very well. Uh, would I, you like to care to guess the point differential real quick for the uh, Jets? Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's probably very high. It's really high. I'd say 15. No, no, no. This is a total point differential, not average per game, total oh. on the season. I don't give it to me. 147. Oh, Wow. They have scored 120 points. They have allowed 268 points. Uh, that's what I'm saying, man. It's going to take a good half decade. With a 100, negative 147-point differential. And they got to move on from Sam Bradford, too. Or I'm, I'm sorry, not, uh, Sam, uh, Darnold. Sam Darnold. Yeah. they got to move uh, on from you know Sam what? Darnold. And they do not need to move from Sam Darnold to Sam, Sam Bradford. Bradford. That would be... Both terrible terrible Sams. (laughs) That would be a terrible mistake. That's only about halfway through the NFL stories we need to get to, so we'll do more after. And I do do have an apology coming up after this. An apology from Will and more NFL after this college football scoreboard update. Before I walk you through a few more NFL notes, do you want to do your apology now? I'm sorry, Justin Herbert. You, uh, I'm sorry. You are not the only one. You're not the only one. A lot of people did not think Justin Herbert would be this good of an NFL quarterback. I will or did, say. Or did you, uh, poop in his lawn or something? I, it was a long drive to Eugene, I'll tell you. <laughs> it was worth it, though. Take that. Take that. Squeeze. Log on your lawn. <laughs> uh, I will say I apologize for my initial assessment of Justin Herbert. All right. Uh, I will also have a caveat to that and say that every single rookie quarterback gets figured out at a certain point. Ooh. It's up to that rookie quarterback to then adjust and make his game even better. The best example of this in both negative and positive is Lamar Jackson is the negative in that he didn't really adjust. And he's now seeing kind of a, I don't want to call it a crappy year, but an incredibly underwhelming year where most people are now putting Kyler Murray ahead of him. Kyler Murray is very good. Is speaking, of game, good. speaking of games to watch, you have Josh Allen, Kyler Murray playing against each other yeah. uh, tomorrow as well. Um, the but, positive of that, though, is Patrick Mahomes, somebody who you could have figured out after his rookie year, but got so good and so aware of his pocket presence 
that now he's almost impossible if you like trap him in the pocket. But then if you put him out, it's like, well, he's going to throw on the run even better. Can we find a couple differences between Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson? Yeah. And when you look at coaching, one of the comments that Lamar Jackson said this week was that the p- defensive players are calling out the plays that are, that are going to run. <laughs> They're getting Chip Kelly. They're getting Greg Roman. Greg Roman is the offensive coordinator in Baltimore. Greg Roman was also the offensive coordinator that was on Jim Harbaugh's staff when Colin Kaepernick was unstoppable and then was quickly stoppable. So he is not a very inventive offensive play caller to the point where when you figure out the fairly simple offense, which is, you know, get the ball to your athletes in space and let them go and do what they do. Once you figure out that offense and go, I'm going to get to that space before they do. They're pretty easy to stop. Whereas Andy Reid has been for decades, one of the more inventive offensive minds in football is Eric B on that staff. And they go out and they create an offense for Patrick Mahomes. that makes things a little bit easier too. So I don't think it's all on the, on the players. A lot of it is on the coaching. We've talked about this ad nauseum, but being a young quarterback and having consistency. And this is where, when you bring up the idea of firing Anthony Lynn after a year where they couldn't quite get over the hump, Keeping consistency for a young quarterback is something that can be extremely valuable, but you also have to have bring in the minds that can go, all right, let's get a new offensive coordinator. Let's get a new whatever, figure out the changes you need to make. But having stability at head coach, offensive coordinator, any of that is only going to help Justin Herbert. Uh, I'll address that by saying that this is his rookie season, and I think that you're in it early enough that you yep. could make that move. Um, and again, if you make the move with the intention that who you hire is yeah. like, a sure thing you're not going out and just kind of firing into the wind and saying let's this seems interesting let's try this which by the way that is somehow some nfl organizations hire people it's very true very weird um but you know bring back marty schottenheimer is what you're saying (laughs) right right. um but you know i think it's interesting that you mentioned that the whole idea that you know lamar jackson's hearing players call out plays because this is what chip kelly encountered at about week eight during his uh you know, maiden voyage with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and that was kind of the rumor that was going around. And, and the one time where it became very, very apparent was, I, I don't know, I remember what week it was in, but it was against the Cowboys. And that they were saying, like, the Cowboys literally at the line of scrimmage were calling out the exact play. Not like yeah. a line shift yep. or saying, like, you know, back to strong or saying anything that would kind of key it off. More like, Hey, it's a zone read to the left, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that that just so much speaks to the idea of a crappy transfer of saying, why don't we take more of what college football does and put it into the NFL? This is why. Yeah. Well, but you can take elements of it. Elements. You, you, you can, yeah. they are two different games. Yeah. They're, they're two different games. Um, Bill Belichick was great at that. Yeah. He took what Chip Kelly did and put very small elements into the Patriots offense yeah he well, what he did was said this is working why is it working and how yeah. can i adapt it to the nfl not how can i introduce it to the nfl yeah, i'm going to put some tempo into yep, this offense yep, exactly uh jake luton had a uh interesting not interesting uh a fun a fun comment yeah. uh this week oh he said it's hard to believe that i'm playing quarterback in the same game as aaron Rodgers." Uh, i'm paraphrasing but basically is what he said that's great that is one of those moments. Tom Brady, I'm sure, does this to every young quarterback. I mean, when you think about the fact that most of the rookie quarterbacks were not even born when Tom Brady started his NFL career, 
Um, you you look at the idea that you know you're going up and playing against Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, all of these guys that you can play, Drew Brees, people you've watched your entire development as a football player. Who's the guy that you watch play on Sundays that you played with or against where you go, I can't believe that guy is still playing. This is awesome. I played against that with that dude. Uh, Mike Remmers. Yeah. I can't believe Mike Remmers is still in the league. And I will say, I can't believe Mike Remmers is still in the league. There's another one too, but he's uh, that finish your Remmers. Yeah. uh, So Remmers is unbelievable because he was not a scholarship player. And I literally played against Remmers through peewee high school, college, and now I'm watching him in pro. And every step along the way, I always said to myself, seeing him play, God, that guy's really good. (laughs) And when he went to Oregon State, when we went there together, um, he was not a scholarship athlete. He was a walk-on. And there was a reason he was a walk-on, because if you saw him in his redshirt freshman year, the dude looked like a basketball player. He was not an offensive tackle. He was incredibly tall, you know, six foot six, six foot seven, but he was also pretty thin. Yeah. But uh, offensive line coach Mike Cavanaugh saw the potential in it because he saw that Remmers was incredibly quick on his feet. And he was really strong for somebody who, at least, you know, relatively was considered wiry. Yeah. And so the fact that he is in the NFL now, and the fact that he got a scholarship, and the fact that, uh, you know, he came onto the scene and got noticed. Uh, when we beat USC when they were number one because he had to fill in for a tackle that got injured and he held his own, even though I will tell you in the offensive game plan, he got plenty of help, which (laughs) thank goodness. Um, He's the one that I'm just like, wow, that is insane that he is having an incredibly fruitful NFL career. Excellent. Uh, The other one is uh, Stephen Paya, just because of the fact that the dude came to the United States and barely knew English (laughs) and like, like people had to like hold his hand in classes, like translating words for him. And now he's just making millions of dollars. I will be watching every snap of the Seahawks Rams this weekend. We will tell you what else we are watching next. It's a segment we call what to watch. It's on the center and the saint on 1080, the fan on radio.com. We'll do it next. Which is the most exciting matchup in the field of competition. Which game will leave you kicking yourself if you miss it? Which channel should you switch to when the sporting day is gone? Welcome to America's most exciting sports talk radio show segment. It's time for What to Watch. Presented by Encore Audio Video. Now hear this. Whether you're looking for a new TV or a custom home theater, start at Encore's showroom at 14th and Everett in the Pearl. Now our expert panel, avid television viewer, Will Darkins. And increasingly out-of-touch father of twin girls, Luke Anderson. Are here to tell you what to watch. Literally, it's what to watch on The Sinner and the Saint. On 1080 The Fan. It is a Ducks game day edition. That means we're going to tell you one matchup, one thing, one nugget from the game to watch for, and then we'll look for other things in sports and outside of sports in the Ducks-Cougars games at 4 o'clock right here on The Fan. Right after this show, we go to the Ducks coaches show. Then we go to Ducks game day. Then we go to the pregame, and then we go to the game. When that game starts at 4 o'clock, what are you watching for in Ducks-Cougs from Pullman? Z. 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 CJ. Verdell, bro. ZJ. Is there a ZJ Verdell? Does he have a brother ZJ? ZJ? I like that. ZJ, brother. I'm going to have a 
little boy named ZJ. He had over 100 yards rushing last game. The 105. One 105 and uh i will say the one thing that uh was probably missed by a bunch of people was the fact that he got a little bit involved in the passing game now one thing i've always had against cj verdell and his game is that he's kind of brutish when it comes to running the ball he just kind of picks a hole commits and doesn't really try to sidestep or juke anybody it seems like joe moorhead's maybe rubbing off on him a little bit and the idea that maybe you don't have to be so simple-minded when you start to run the ball so i'm kind of hoping that He'll start to evolve a little bit more and Moorhead will start to open the offense a little up a little bit more. Or I just kind of hope that this offense is a little bit more than what we saw against Stanford. Um, so I, I, I'm looking for him to have a big game. I, I, I'm watching for the running game as well, but I'm also a little curious about what's going on with uh, the Washington State running game. The Washington State Cougars, of course, uh, with Mike Leach, were a passing team. They chucked the ball all over the yard, but... Nick Rolovich liked to throw the ball as well. In the top five in passing last year, uh, yards per game, number one was Washington State. Number five was Hawaii. They threw the ball 339 yards per game. Last week, they had a balanced attack. Oh, last week, they had a balanced attack against Oregon State. They actually ran the ball uh, fewer times, but they had more yards running the ball than they did last week. It's going to be a cold game. Uh, I wonder if they're going to try to open it up. Obviously, they have the personnel for the run and shoot, but mm. this is not the air raid. It is the run and then shoot. So I'm, I'm watching for how they attack the Oregon defense. And I want to see how the Oregon defense responds because you've got a mobile quarterback back there and that uh, D-line you were talking about earlier. Can they get to him? Yeah, and uh, it always is kind of weird to me whenever uh, the <laughs> storied narratives of a team change. I always felt like this too when uh, SC started to be a air raid offense because <laughs> it was like, I don't know, you get so used to seeing a college do a certain thing a certain way yep. that it doesn't look natural it's almost as if like david shaw got fired if he got fired from stanford and then like stanford all of a sudden was just like a read option team yeah and it was like high tempo well it, you, it know would be, you know what would be weird is so i was looking at the uh the yards per game passing and i went to the bottom of the list just for fun yeah uh, army and navy both threw the ball less than 100 yards per game if one of them moved into yeah. the air raid or, or flip-flopped or Georgia Tech became a, a deep threat offense. Well, it was kind of uh, also the same thing when the SEC started to become more offensively yeah. centric. You know, there isn't one thing that you can nail down how, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, a, a brand that the SEC has in terms of offense. But you always knew that their defense would overpower that. Number two on the passing yardage per game list, yeah. LSU. Number four, Alabama. Yeah. That's and exactly so, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, the SEC yeah. is now having kind of this, you know, in the past couple of years, this renaissance of offense where you're getting these incredible players come out and they're putting up huge numbers. And so that's something you don't expect. The one thing that I will always know will be the case is the Big Ten will run the ball and that Ohio State will score a lot. Yeah, that's That fair. will literally never change ever. What else are you watching uh, in this big sports weekend? I know the Masters, right? <laughs> How's Tiger doing? Uh, he was four back this morning. I know he wasn't on the leaderboard. I think last time I was reading the leaderboard, yeah, he was, he was, Justin he, Johnson was He was five there. under. The leaders were at nine under at the end of round two, which they wrapped up this morning because it had rain delays in, on Thursday. I did see my favorite thing of when uh, any um, golf major happens, people start to talk up Jordan Spieth. <laughs> Like, Man, it's without he, fail, he had He had the most incredible year of golf I've ever seen, and then just, meh, done. I, and, you know, that's like... You had to watch every shot that guy took for a year. You thought he was going to get up a Grand Slam at 21, and then just nothing. 
And I will say that, like, and, you know, it does stem back to that terrible, I forget which year, I think it was 2018 Masters. <laughs> like he had, like, a meltdown yeah, in the last couple of holes. Yeah, I want to say I, 16, something. somewhere yeah. around there. Yeah. Is there another uh, player like that in another sport you can think of that, like, came came to prominence very early and then just started to become a choke artist? Yeah, there's... I mean, basketball is the easiest one to go to, and I would say James Harden. <laughs> he did, man. He came to prominence yeah. so fast. No, but he didn't because he was a six-man with, with the, the... But thumb. that was the prominence of it. No, like, everybody thought that, like, James Harden would become, like... The new, like, better Tony Ku coach of that era. That I'm trying to think just... of somebody that won an early MVP. And uh, Derek Rose, but it was injuries. Uh, Cam yeah. Newton was injuries. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same thing. But those are the guys. Those are the ones that keep popping in my head. But injuries, I think, are a little bit different. But, um, but yeah, those are a couple. That... Yeah, Derek Rose was. And I'll tell you, man. Derek Rose, to me, he was like, I thought that guy was the truth. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people did. Well, he won the MVP. He was the, one of the youngest MVPs. What else are you watching in sports this weekend? Nothing really. I'm gonna see if the Seahawks can bounce back. That was not a not a pretty game against the Bills. Uh, anything outside of sports that you're on? Uh, if you happen to be on Netflix and you see this holiday series called, uh, I think it's Dax and Lily. Stay away from it. <laughs> it is garbage. I will do that. I just started watching. I watched the first half of Knives Out. Oh. And uh, I didn't get to finish it, so I need to finish that uh, at some point. Is it so. funny? Uh, it was, it was interesting. It was intriguing. It was humorous, but it was, uh, hmm. it was the setup was really, sure. really good. So I'm halfway through. We'll see what it is. All right, everybody have a wonderful weekend. We've got the coaches show next. Like I said, followed by uh, Ducks game day with Anthony Newman, Andy Dirt Johnson, and then of course stick around for all the game day festivities uh, for your Ducks and Cougars. We're all done. Have a great weekend. Bye bye. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.